Hi, my name is Archer. I hate it when my dad listens to I doubt it when Donald. But Brittany is the best part. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, let's do this. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us on this 219th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting gracefully across from me, the lovely and talented co-host of mine and yours, Brittany Page. Hello, sir. Yes, ma'am. How Mm -hmm. are you? You know, I'm great. Eager. No. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. That's a stretch. That's a stretch. (laughs) But I am hanging in. Yeah. Well, we've had... uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I did write upon the board the government fuckery (laughs) jury slash VA. Yeah. I, I didn't see that. Because you and I have both had... Our run-ins with the government. Mm-hmm. I feel like one of the fucking Bundys <laughs> at the Bundy Ranch or the standoff at the the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. Uh huh. You know that's a pretty a weapon and getting angry. That's a pretty recent story, but I still it took me some time to remember <laughs> what the hell you were talking about. My references go deep, Brittany. They Page. sure do. Yeah, they do. So I have had jury duty. Well, I've been on call for jury duty all week. It seems like a well, it's very apt. It's government fuckery. It's we- it's a weird system that they have here in Orange County. Yeah, and I wonder if it's like this everywhere. I don't know. This is the first time I've ever been called. But basically the way that it, it has worked for me is every day at noon, I have to check this website, check my number, yeah. and see if I have to come in at one that same day. Which, being a practicing therapist... Mm-hmm. You, it makes it very difficult because you don't know whether you're going to be have to cancel on a client. Right. It's it's not just inconvenient; it's an unprofessional way to run jury duty mm-hmm. in a municipality. Well, it's weird because in any profession that's based with uh, based on appointments, you know, hairstylists or right anything. Um, what well, hell, what you, do they have you, to do? If you work at fucking Nordstrom or Taco Bell. it's going to be difficult. Yeah, and they say, do not take the day off work. Check this website at noon. Check it at noon from work. And then if you have to come in, leave work and and get there by one. What if you can't just leave work, though? (laughs) Uh, Then you you have to call them and work something out or... Well, they only gave you... you, This is already postponed for you, though, because you had... You were given special dispensation or whatever... Because of graduate school. Right. So I asked to have it delayed. And then they delayed it until... Now. The week of your finals. Until you got out. Like the day... The yeah. day. It was the day yeah. that you were done. Well, it started this week. So it's the last... The, the yeah. week. Right. The next... Very next week. Yes. And 
what's weird about it though is just being on call every single day and, and i wonder right. if this is how it is because that just seems super weird i wish i was able to give you some understanding or solace from an anecdotal point of view because right tell me about I, your history i i have been registered to vote since 18 uh-huh many years longer than you uh-huh and i have never been called to jury one time actually i got when i first moved here from idaho from boise Mm -hmm. my mail was being forwarded from boise Mm -hmm. and i got a letter that had been forwarded yeah saying hey buddy you (laughs) have jury duty in boise idaho but that was your first time ever being called. ever the first time ever in In your whole life in my whole life how is that possible i have no idea and i didn't have to fulfill it because and i wouldn't i'm not the type who would try to get out of it i i really do feel like we need intelligent thoughtful people to be on juries not just those who weren't smart enough to get out of it you know what i mean you know i'm anxious about it because i i definitely would not want to be put on some sort of high profile case because i just that makes me anxious yeah yeah being like having that decision in my hands i i wouldn't i wouldn't want any part of that (laughs) But apparently you would. Well, I um, <laughs> no, I don't I, I don't relish the opportunity, but I certainly wouldn't shirk or shrink from the call of duty, Brittany Page. Wow. <laughs> so you're just the luckiest person on earth, right? Because people generally hate jury duty, you right? Know, I have very good friends of mine who were not voters. And during the 1996 campaign... Mm-hmm. of a congresswoman in, in Idaho named Helen Chenoweth, for whom I worked. Um, <laughs> I convinced these this couple to vote. Go fucking do... Uh, you know, like I am now. Go vote. Go vote. Right. Register to vote. Get involved. Go vote. Right. I was an asshole about it. <laughs> well, I shamed them. Mm-hmm. I went with them to the polls to make sure they voted. It was all probably wow. not above board, right? And so I moved away. I moved back to Virginia... And uh, I got back in contact with him a couple of years later. And this was, you know, pre-internet the way it is now. Mm-hmm. And they were not happy because they got jury duty like within two months wow. of registering to vote in Idaho. Wow. So it's, yeah, I guess it could be a two-edged sword. That's what's interesting about you only being called one time is yeah. you've lived in several different states too. And so I imagine when you go to register to vote in all these different states that you've lived in, that that would initiate some yeah, sort like, of jury I'm, duty. I'm fresh blood. Yeah. And we're going to make him do his part. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is a new name. Give him jury duty. Right. That doesn't sound Southern. (laughs) We better give that boy jury duty. Yes. Speaking of me being lucky, though, not so lucky, Brittany Page. Uh Uh-oh. I have been trying. I've probably mentioned on on the show that I have a, I sound like an old man whining about his maladies, (laughs) his infirmary. I'm... I've been suffering from this fucking stiff neck. I'm mm-hmm. like Batman who can't turn his <laughs> neck. I have to turn his sho- my shoulders. Yeah. And it's on both sides. I've, yeah, because I've t- I talked about the helmet of my skull. But yes. it's not on my neck. It's really more up at the top. It's something. Something's not right. Yeah, something's not right. I, I feel I'm a little, I don't want to say worried and freak everybody out, but 
It's not normal to have a stiff neck for this fucking long when nothing has changed. Well, it's also, you keep saying stiff neck. It's not really your neck. It's right. your head. It's, it's, There's... My, it's my skull helmet. Yeah, it's something the... is happening with your effing head. <laughs> right. So finally, I was cajoled by you, and enough worry has, has built up that I decided, fuck it, I'm going to call the, the Veterans Administration, my, my assigned doctor's office. Mm-hmm. This is my form of government health care. Yeah. My I don't have Obamacare because I'm a a, a, a veteran mm-hmm. who has full coverage through the VA because full, of my service. Quote unquote full right, right. coverage. So I called. Last Monday I called. Was uh, that the first time or the very first time. Okay. Not 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 two days ago, mm-hmm. but seven days ago. Uh, nine days ago. Yeah. All right, you're making me do math now. <laughs> So I call, and it's a voice message. Oh, great. I I really want to call on the show one time and show how this fucking works. So you call the doctor's office. That's right. And I get a message, uh, 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 a voicemail message, like an outgoing thing that says, leave your, all it says is leave your last name, the last four numbers of your social security number, which is kind of a military thing, how to identify, Mm -hmm. and your, your phone number, and we will call you back. So I did exactly what they said. Mm-hmm. And I also said, I'm, I'm calling to make an appointment. So please call me back. And so then I, they promptly returned your call. Wah, wah. No, they did not promptly return my call. So I waited until the after. The, I figured they would, if they didn't call me back that day, they'd call me back the next day. Right. Which they didn't. So on Wednesday, I called again. Same routine. This time I, I made mention Hey, this is my second phone call. I still really need an appointment and gave the pertinent information. Mm-hmm. No call back. Yeah. How many times have you called now? I've left five messages over the course of a week. And I'm not counting the weekend, so really seven days. Right. So you still haven't gotten a call back. That's right. No, not at all. In fact, yesterday, I called and left two messages. One, I, I have two separate numbers for them. I called, got the same voicemail from both numbers, left a voicemail, and nothing. Mm-hmm. So I am uh, beyond words. I'm getting to the point where I'm getting pissed. And I shouldn't have to drive over there to the goddamn office to make an appointment. Right. Which is probably going to be two weeks or even a month out anyway mm-hmm. because it's the goddamn VA. Yeah, it's really disturbing. And when you hear, I mean, this has been a topic in the media, yeah, right? About how sure. horrible the VA is. But it's never affected me. So I thought, oh. Well, it's kind of affected you. Well, not no call back. No, I'm talking about medical medical care. Okay. I've had issues with the VA before. Well, you've had issues with the medical care too. I think you're you're so forgiving of these past <laughs> mistakes. You're being a little too forgiving because you have gone in and been super ill. And then they basically say, oh, just go to the CVS and buy some cough drops. Right, right. Th- that's yeah, happened that's to true. you. Yeah, that's true. I have been pissed off. You know, where you can't even swallow. Office too. Yeah, where you couldn't even swallow in your throat was like, you know, horrifically yeah. freaking out. I had like a, a weird... My voice, <laughs> crazy voice, because it hurts so bad to talk. Even yeah, and then they're like, "Just go yeah, get some you're right. Jacks. I am forgiven. I forget those types of things. Well, yeah, it's yeah. okay. And then the dental work, well, just a regular dental an, thing. At least I got an appointment. Anyway, listen. Okay, that explains the government fuckery. We're 11 minutes and 35 seconds in, <laughs> and uh, it's we could go on. 
We could make the entire hour about how the government is not doing well by Brittany Page and Jesse Dollimore. Right. So let's get to a little bit of follow-up. Bill Cosby has been a topic on this show a lot. No, no, we don't answer that. And he has, I guess, upwards of 50 accusers of sexual assault and straight-up rape. Well, he has been battling in court a case, and it looks as though good old Bill Cosby is going to stand trial. Good evening. For years, he made America laugh, whether as the jello pitch man or as the patriarch of the Huxtable family. But Bill Cosby's slow motion fall from grace under an avalanche of sexual allegations took an even more serious turn today. Cosby ordered to stand trial on criminal sexual assault charges. The comic icon facing the possibility of a 10-year prison sentence if convicted of a crime that allegedly occurred more than a decade ago. Today, Cosby's lawyers previewed just how they plan to discredit his accuser. NBC's Stephanie Gosk reports from the courthouse in Pennsylvania. Once America's dad, now turned defendant, Bill Cosby needed assistance walking into court today. Despite his lawyer's best efforts, the judge ruled there was enough evidence to go to trial. We're going to move forward on the case and uh, look forward to uh, getting a trial date. Cosby is fighting criminal charges that he sexually assaulted former Temple University employee Andrea Constant more than a decade ago in his Pennsylvania home. In court, a former detective read a statement Constant gave police in 2005, detailing what she said happened the night of the alleged assault. Cosby invited her over for dinner, according to the statement, offering her wine and unspecified pills. He urged me to take them. Constant told detectives the pills made her dizzy. I got scared. I thought I was having a bad reaction to something. I had no strength in my legs. In Constant's account, Cosby then started inappropriately touching her under her shirt and pants as she slipped in and out of consciousness. She told detectives when she came to that my bra was over my breasts, up by my neck. In a statement Cosby gave to police in 2005 that was referenced in court today, he admitted sexual contact occurred, but said it was consensual. Today, his defense attorney called Constant's story inconsistent and said it lacked credibility. The evidence presented today in a Montgomery County courtroom confirms that William Cosby is not guilty. It is the only criminal case against Cosby. But there are multiple ongoing lawsuits. More than 55 women have come forward accusing Cosby of sexual misconduct. Cosby has repeatedly denied them all. Some of those accusers could potentially be called to testify in the Andrea Constant case. This case could be won or lost based on whether other women are allowed to speak at this trial. Heidi Thomas could be one of them. This is our case. I don't get a chance to face him in court for me. So Andrea Constant is doing it for all of us, myself included. Andrea Constant did not testify herself today. She will have to when this goes to trial. The judge set an arraignment date for July 20th and then turned to Cosby and said, good luck. So that clip didn't even contain this quote from Bill Cosby that I think is so horrific. He was being interviewed and he said... 
well, the lawyer said, um, did this person give consent for sex? And Bill Cosby said, quote, I don't know. How many years are we talking about? 1976. I meet with Ms. Picking, the woman that he's talking about. Right. In Las Vegas, she meets me backstage. I give her quaaludes. We then have sex. I don't hear her say anything. And so I continue and I go into this area that is somewhere between permission and rejection. Sounds like rape to me. Now, which area is is that? God damn. How damning is that? That statement in and of itself is guilt ridden. Right, so that's why you're seeing this advance, and he's now going to be on trial because of these interviews that he, he's been required to give. Right, all these depositions throughout all these different civil cases are now going to come back to haunt him. Right, and like they said in the clip, it isn't just Andrea Constand, but now these attorneys for other women are able to ask questions about their case as well, and then things like this come out where you know it's somewhere between permission and rejection absolutely well let me tell you this if if he is found guilty of even one of these charges of of sexual assault of rape he 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 should die in prison unless he lives to be you know 175 years old so can i read another exchange that's really creepy please Quote, on a later occasion, you had her masturbate you with lotion. Did that ever happen? Constan's lawyer asked. Yes, he said. The lawyer then said, she used the lotion to rub your penis and make you ejaculate. Bingo, Bill Cosby replied. Wow. He said bingo. What a smug asshole. He said bingo. What's going on? Well, maybe he said B-I-N-G-O <laughs> and like it was started singing a song because he's such a, a happy father character. I really hope not. <laughs> but yeah, that's the point, because even aside from the fact that this is, you know, abusing women, he was also married. Well, he's also just very cavalier about all of it. Yeah. And so for him to just be like, bingo. Oh, what? Wait a minute. What's happening with your reaction here? This yeah. is weird. You know you're on trial for sexual assaults, raping people. Y- there's a stenographer here, you know, right? Yeah. You, just a, a simple yes or no will suffice. <laughs> Fucking bingo. Yeah. All right. Well, the other topic that we're going to cover a little bit in follow-up is because we've talked about this before, and I've done videos on YouTube about Black Lives Matter. And generally, I'm a supporter of what they are doing. I'm a supporter. I don't believe that black lives matter means only black lives matter or that white lives don't matter. It clearly means black lives matter too. That is my take on it. However, there are actors within the movement who are causing problems from an optic standpoint and also just a general public relations standpoint And it is bothersome. There is this character, we'll call him, Milo Yiannopoulos. He is a a gay Breitbart employee Mm -hmm. who is a Trump supporter, an outspoken Trump supporter. He is currently on a speaking tour. I wrote it down here. The Dangerous Faggot speaking tour. That is what he has named it. Okay. This is a fascinating character. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think 
only because it doesn't make any sense to me that he is what he purports himself to be. Mm-hmm. It just it, it's such cognitive dissonance for me that I I think that it must be just him trying to make money and make a name for himself. Kind of like a how people don't believe that Ann Coulter is really Ann Coulter. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, listen, I I take him at his word that he really is what he says. I, I believe it. I, I can only believe it. Mm-hmm. Even though it really makes my fucking brain hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Just the it. confusion. Yeah. Well, he was recently, over the course of the last couple days, at DePaul University, giving his talk in the midst of his dangerous faggot speaking to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, it's that even that, it's just salacious. It's just trying to get people like, oh, dangerous faggot. Oh, what, that's what, what's going on. I'm going to pay attention. Right. So he's, he's look at me, look at me. Mm-hmm. Well, a group of purported Black Lives Matter protesters entered the scene. I'm going to give you a little bit of a flavor, and then we're going to talk about why someone's freedom of speech is so sacred and trying to shut down someone from speaking just because you disagree with them is dangerous. In this clip, he is talking about microaggressions and how they don't exist and how the reason you don't really notice them is because they're really not there. And the reason you can't see them is because they're not there. There's no- Nothing happened. I mean, I mean, hello, darling. Sir, please, sir, sir, please, sir, please. We'd like to ask you to please. Sir, please. Can we ask you to stop, please? Sir. So this kind of thing is becoming rampant on college campuses. All too common. Where speakers are invited and before they get there, sometimes the students do this kind of thing and then the speaker is disinvited. Right. Or this happens. They actually come, they're speaking for 40 minutes and then people stomp into the room and interrupt everything that's happening. Well, in this case, it was clear Their only objective was to shut down the event with the whistles, with the taking of the microphones. Toward the end there, you heard the the female screaming, shrieking in his face, what you got to say while she yanks the mic out of his hand and like threatens him physically. It is, this is deplorable behavior that does the Black Lives Matter movement no favors. 
Well, and it's interesting because he's there and he's on stage being interviewed. And I'm sure I've been to many events like this and they typically have a question and answer portion right. where people can ask questions. And that would be the time to say what you want to say. Challenge his beliefs. Yeah. If you don't agree, great, awesome, then say that and ask him a question. Or hold a competing event either at the same time or following the, the event but to completely disrupt and shut down this gentleman's freedom of speech, no matter how wrong he is, is completely absurd and counter to the freedom of speech that they are trying to act like they're displaying. Right. And it, it this is so important, being able to have these conversations right. without this kind of thing happening. Look, we'll say it again, because you're not only protecting your freedom of speech by protecting others' freedom of speech, you're also protecting your own right to hear differing opinions than your own. Right. Well, and what's his name? Milo? Milo, yeah. He's a member of a disadvantaged group, right? Yes. He is a gay man. Yeah. And he seemed frightened. And he's a Trump supporter, so he's likely cognitively disadvantaged as well. <laughs> He seemed somewhat frightened oh, at for sure certain he points was. here. He, it, viewing the video, he was absolutely shaken by it. I mean, he wasn't cowering, but it was, you know, he's a he's a little guy. Mm-hmm. He's not a physically imposing guy. Right. And the black dude on stage with the sport coat mm-hmm. was a, a bigger guy who was threatening to hit him and being, you know, unlawfully aggressive. Well, and when this kind of thing happens, these these individuals were walking up a ramp toward the stage and Milo is sitting there kind of like, what's going to happen here? You can even tell in his speech he was rattled because he kept repeating things right. and like looking. It was He was right. freaked out. And I saw him tweet that at least they didn't have paint or something. And so he might have worse experiences with this where right. people are running up to the stage and then throwing paint or doing something right. else. So he you know, was probably fearful and didn't know what to expect here. So in this case, if these are truly Black Lives Matter activists with the formal organization, even though the Black Lives Matter movement is a lot like the early Tea Party where there's no real central authority. It's just groups regionally that pop up that, you know, there's no central spokesman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And... They need some organization here because if this shit goes on, they're going to just be an embarrassment and more damaging to the cause of racial justice than anything else. And I guess we'll finish with shame on you, DePaul University, for not getting the fuck involved here and squashing this when you had the chance. Mm -hmm. You allowed this to go downhill. You allowed their freedom of speech to be squelched. And shame on you. It's a tra- it's a travesty. Right. There needs to be something in place where they can handle the situation when it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Or prevent it from happening. For sure. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like. Comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time.
If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. All right, let's move in to the meat and or potatoes with a little Dolomocracy. Dolomocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Looks like a little bad news for Hillary Clinton today. We have talked in the past about her email scandal, the difficulty with the investigation that is that is happening as we speak with the American Justice Department and uh, an independent inspector general with the State Department has come out with a 79, I believe, a 79-page report. And in it, Hillary Clinton... ...is not painted in the best light. Let's go through some particulars. Things she has said in the past about her handling of the emails, compare it with what the report says. Here's Clinton talking about how what she did was above board. My personal email use was fully above board. It was allowed by the State Department, as they have confirmed. The truth is, everything I did was permitted, and I went above and beyond what anybody could have expected in making sure that if the State Department didn't capture something, I made a real effort to get it to them. So, everything she did was above board. What does the Inspector General say? The Inspector General says that this was a clear violation of the rules that were in place when Secretary Clinton was in office. And it says there is no evidence that the Secretary requested or obtained guidance or approval to conduct the official business via a personal email account on her private server. They checked with the General Counsel's office. They checked with security officials. And they could find nobody who approved of this. Huh. She also said... Um, that she turned over all the emails, because one of the issues here is there's this regulation that you need to keep a record of all these emails. Um, She didn't provide them to the State Department. So ultimately, she then says, she later did, she turned over uh, all of the emails. Take a listen. After I left office, the State Department asked former secretaries of state for our assistance in providing copies of work-related emails from our personal accounts. I responded right away and provided all my emails that could possibly be work-related. We turned over everything that was work-related, every single thing. We turned over everything that was work-related, every single thing. What does the Inspector General say? Not everything. Uh, She turned over 55,000 pages, 30,000 emails, uh, but the Inspector General report says, quote, no emails covering the first few months of Secretary Clinton's tenure, including from January through March or April of 2009, were turned over. And it should be noted that she didn't turn them over when she first left. It was only after these FOIA lawsuits, these Freedom of Inf- Information uh, lawsuits that came forward that the, the State Department went to her and got this information. Hmm. Not good. This isn't good. And it, it furthers the narrative that, that I would agree with, that she is not worthy of the American people's trust. It's problematic, to say the least, that even an independent inspector general with the State Department is having bad things to say. He goes on further in the report to talk about how Clinton's staff refused 
to cooperate with the investigation as well. Right, which is countering what she has said all along, which is, I've always been open. I'll talk to whoever, anyone associated with me will give whatever interview they need to give. Right. Well, maybe not. Well, here's the other thing is she says, I I turned over every single work-related email. She doesn't say, I turned over every email. Mm -hmm. She says, I went through tens of thousands of emails mm-hmm. and I handpick ones to send and which to not send. So right. we don't know as the American people. Because it's her discretion. That's right. We don't know which emails weren't sent because even now, oh, oh, well, I wiped that server clean. So everything's destroyed. Sorry, you're just going to have to take my word. So we're left in a position to take the word of a woman who now we're finding out has been dishonest all the way along with the amount of of cooperation her staff is giving, with what she's done. All the way along, she's not been telling the truth. So now she expects us to believe that it... Just trust me, I turned over the correct emails. Come on. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the Clintons ever get worried. (laughs) Or if they think... You know, well, up we constantly point, just go over these bumps, no problem. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not worried. Up to this point, they have have remained unscathed from controversy. Right. I mean, even after President Clinton's impeachment, only the second president in the history of our union to be Im- impeached, he he ended up with higher approval ratings than before. So... He they they called him the Teflon Don. <laughs> he you know nothing stuck to Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. So it only gives Donald Trump, the maniac Donald Trump, more fodder for criticism and to garner votes because eventually he's going to have to switch his routine and become a little bit softer, a little bit more presidential. And when that happens, people are dumb. And they're going to forget what an asshole he is. And all this Hillary Clinton stuff is going to come back and be a detriment to getting someone at least palpable or at least palatable in, in office. So not, not, not good. Not good at all. Well, also related to the Clintons, Donald Trump caught in another Yet another flip-flop talking about... He is. He's like a fucking fish. Just flip, flippity, flap, flopping all over the place. Give him 10 years and he'll have multiple, all kinds of different opinions on a certain matter. (laughs) Well, Chris Cuomo sat down with that Cohen guy, that lawyer for Trump, the guy who said that it's not even legally possible for a husband to rape his wife. Yikes. Yeah, he's a real smart guy. He sat down with uh, Chris Cuomo on CNN, and they talked about Donald Trump's multiple stances related to the sexual exploits or criminal behavior, possibly, of Bill Clinton. He defended Bill Clinton for years. He said the same allegations that you guys are talking about now were a waste of time, were wrong, were hollow, that Bill Clinton was a terrific guy that he was a great president, that the impeachment was wrong, that it was a waste of time. And Hillary Clinton said Donald Trump was one of the smartest, best businessmen in the United States on several occasions. Now she's attacking well, him hold on, on these ads. Right. So claiming. she's bad, so, too. So okay. she's bad, too. So but isn't he bad for saying she, that Bill Clinton's she's, great and now well, going after him? 
All he's doing is he's giving the facts. No, no, he's no. giving the he facts. He knew the facts then in the 90s when this was all happening. And he said he was all private, BS. He was a private citizen who was friendly with the Clintons and he was trying to protect a friend. All right. Now it's a different game. It's 2016. Michael. He's the presidential. Michael. He's the Republican presidential. If you nominee. decide to. When is that going to stop being something that's said, Brittany? I don't know. I'm not. I mean, I'm not obviously angry at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what does it matter that he was a private citizen? So it's OK to stand up for someone you believe to be a rapist because they're your friend. It's always my friend. I know he raped people. That's the accusation now. Well, that's what's confusing about this argument, because if that is the argument, if that is legitimately the reason that Donald Trump would give for his flip flopping. Well, what does that say about him as a person still? Right. That you were trying to protect your friend. So as a private citizen, you took a different stance because you were trying to protect your friend who was sexually assaulting women, allegedly. But now, now that you're running for president, now you're doing the right thing. Or maybe it's you were right then, and now you're just trying to get elected to high office, so now you're being a fucking liar. Right. And I love how the attorney said, well, Hillary Clinton used to say that Donald Trump was a great businessman. Now she's attacking him. Well, I don't think she's attacking him for not being a great businessman. I think she's attacking him for other things. So There's lots. There's lots. The conversation continued. Run for office, and people say, "Hey, you knew Cuomo back then. Used to say he's a I good guy." I will always you deny say, that. You say, but now, always now I'm that. running against him. Cuomo's a bum. That he's makes it ter- okay. Absolutely. Come on. Because if I was Michael, telling the please. truth, if I was telling the truth, then it's absolutely. So he was fine. lying then. He's not lying. He was protecting a friend. There's a difference. What is the difference? The difference is he was being a true friend. He was. It didn't matter to him. So he would be friends with a guy that he thought was a piece of crap. Basically, is that what, what he what his relationship is with his wife, but is between the two of them. Now it's different. They're attacking Mr. Trump on a daily basis. Hundreds of millions of dollars spent in attack ads. Right. Whereas, you know, it's funny because I keep seeing CNN and others talking about these two ads that are going against right. one another right now. Mr. Trump spent probably two hundred and fifty dollars on his ad. Right. And no expense in terms of getting it out. And she's probably spent several millions yeah, of dollars. You, know, you could argue this he is spent the difference. What, what it's worth. Why is he going after stuff that he this used to is, defend the guy with? This, he called Paula Jones a loser. Do you, do you know what the difference is? What? His, the ad that he put out against the Clintons is legitimate. The one she put out against him is inaccurate. He right. says it's, Ill- he says it's illegitimate. He Who said says? it in the 90s. He said Linda Tripp was a lying let's, loser. Let's talk about 2016. The personification let's talk of about evil. 2016, Chris. We're not going to talk about 1990 when he was defending Bill, Bill Clinton because it didn't matter. Why would I a, trust you if you say that all the things that you said then private, were false? He's, he was a private individual. So you he was tell a, the truth? When you were a politician, but you lie when he, you were a private individual. He had individual. no obligation to say anything to anybody. But he said plenty. They, so what? Because he's Donald but Trump. That's the record of what you believe. No, 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 no. It was he was standing up for a man who he considered to be a friend at the time. So he was saying things that he knew was untrue at the time. No. Did he believe him to be true at the time? He, I don't think he knew the answer. He was standing up for friend. Called which Paula shows, Jones. Which shows loyalty. He called Actually, the, the one who called Paul, Paula called Jones. Called Linda Tripp the personification of evil. The he person didn't know what he was who called about. the person who called all of them the worst was Hillary Clinton, the great enabler. This is about your guy. What he said. Paula Jones is a loser. 
And she may be responsible for bringing down the president indirectly. Did he, did he know it or did he not know it? You'll have to ask him that question. Michael, You'll have to ask him that question. Michael, Chris. that is a nice dodge, my friend. The ultimate very, very fucking well cop done. out. And then they have a little chuckle about it. This, these are the questions the media should be asking Donald Trump and holding his feet to the fire and pushing through all of his, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Well, that's something that's driving me crazy while I'm sitting here listening to that clip because I think we've become accustomed to hearing these interviews. And when the person gives an answer that just has nothing to do with the discussion whatsoever. Right. And it's not even addressed. And you're sitting there wondering, is this real? Is this really happening? Am I in reality right now? Because in any other environment, in any other conversation, when you're talking to someone, if they randomly start talking about something else, you'd say, what What the hell's happening right, right now? Right, right. But for some reason, They're when it happens... They're having a breakdown. Something's going on. Yeah, but when it happens <laughs> on TV, they don't even respond to it. So yeah. that whole section where he was talking about how much money has been spent on attack ads that had nothing to right. do with what was being talked about it's, so why it's can't the jingling of, of keys of a shiny object right so why can't chris cuomo be like hey i'm kind of confused as to why you're talking about this let's go back to my question right we don't need to talk about the money that's not what we're talking about yeah it's it's quizzical to say the least well in another donald trump lie that we've talked about is the veterans money this missing money that he claims to have raised $6 million. I believe he even says that he's donated personally a million dollars during the debate that he skipped. Well, CNN did some digging, and eh, maybe not. It was such a major event, and Trump claimed to have raised so much money for veterans. We actually raised close to six, to be totally honest. That it was only natural for reporters to follow up. If the presidential candidate did skip a debate and did instead raise $6 million for veterans, where is the money? A testy Donald Trump released an Instagram video essentially asking, why is the press picking on me? I raised almost $6 million for the veterans, including putting up $1 million of my own money. I had no obligation to do anything or to do so. And I get nothing but bad press from the dishonest media. It is absolutely disgraceful. Why don't they look into the Clinton Foundation? The fact is, it is true. Donald Trump does and has given money to veterans groups for years. And it's also true, Donald Trump sometimes gets his facts and his accounting all messed up. You can find the errors right on Trump's own website. Right here, it says in 1995, he saved the Nation's Day Parade by donating $1 million, agreeing to be its Grand Marshal, and marching with the troops on November 11th. How much money did he actually give? Do you know exactly how much oh, money I, he gave? I'm reaching, I'm reaching into my memory on this. It didn't exceed 375 but it was more than 325 He said That's it was right. a million. That's what he said. But it looks to me as if uh, whoever wrote that paragraph mixed 1985 and 1995. Possibly just sloppy public relations, bad accounting, or a little bravado, says the then chairman of that parade, Vince McGowan. Uh, Did Trump save the day? McGowan says yes. Did he donate a million dollars? No. But on his website, his website, yeah. it's a million dollars. It's a million dollars if you, if you, but when you start parsing uh, the way he wrote, somebody wrote that, and I'm sure he didn't write it, uh, that they did not get uh, the story straight. I don't think they did. And I think they will after this interview. 
and something else they may want to fix on that Trump website. He wasn't the Grand Marshal. There's only one Veterans Day every single day, every single year. We've been running it since 1985. Has he ever been Grand Marshal? No. In 1985, ten years earlier, Trump did give a million dollars to help build the Vietnam War Memorial in New York City. That's a fact. No need to overstate it. But then there's this. In 2008, while trying to pump up sales of his Trump vodka, the vodka company said it would donate sales proceeds to the Walter Reed Society, supporting programs at the Walter Reed Military Hospital. How much? The administrator for the Walter Reed Society doesn't remember the precise figure, but told CNN that the donation wasn't much. Then they went on in the report to talk about that, that, that not very much figure, and they said it was no more than a few hundred dollars. So mm-hmm. it's disgraceful to use your business as a platform to gain sales with the promise of, of donating money to a worthy charity, and then you make millions, and then you give a few hundred dollars to the charity. Right. It's, it's misleading. It's dishonorable. It's clearly dishonest. And also maybe not that surprising. And par for the course for Donald Trump. <laughs> right. All right. Well, listen, there's a facet of Donald Trump's support that is evangelical. And it's starting to flesh out now, at least to me, that that support is starting to, to, to divide. We've talked on the program before about Kevin Swanson, the truth wiener, the one who has called for the death of gays and lesbians because it is in the Bible, the one who had the political rally or the political um, event where Bobby Jindal was there and Ted Cruz was there and Mike Huckabee was there and watched him give speech after speech about the death of homosexuals. Death to homosexuals. That's right. Mm -hmm. Because it's in Leviticus. Well, he apparently has an Armageddon boner right now (laughs) because he is talking about how a a Trump presidency will bring on God's wrath and destruction, which, Mm. you know, when you're in a death cult like Christianity, eh, that's that's a good thing. Now, Daniel 4.17 came to mind as I was surveying the history of this man and seeing how the rabble and the mob has gone for him. And I, I thought of Daniel 4.17. I also thought of Robespierre, yeah. who, who, as you know, was the man who oversaw the revolution and the eventual dismantlement of the nation of France and the Empire of France. Empire of France came crashing down after Robespierre. But Daniel 4.17 comes to mind. Uh, Here it is. To the intent that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. That is, God is totally sovereign. God is the one who raises men up and brings them down. God is sovereign over these things. God is sovereign over the rabble. That the rabble might gain a little bit of progress in the election of the next president of the United States, that's all under the rubric of the sovereignty of God. To the intent that the living may know that the most high... So, so much for free will, because it doesn't matter what the vote is, God raises up leaders. He, he's the one making sure everything gets done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much for free will. I rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he wills. And here it is. Sets up over it the basest of men mm-hmm. or women, we may add. He sets up over these empires the basest of men. 
and prepares the empires for the dismantlement as he did to Babylon, as he did to Assyria, as he did to Persia, as he did to Greece, as he did to Rome. This is the process. The way in which empires come down is the basis of men are put in control according to the sovereign ordination of Almighty God. So you see, now the basis of men, you don't get to think to be the most qualified, the most professional, the presidential, the ones with the highest form of judgment, the ones who are able to maintain some stability in society. No, no, you're not thinking about these. You're talking about absolute lowest, least qualified, basest of men are put in position in order that these kingdoms, these empires may come down. Now, God is sovereign over this, and Daniel 4.17 impresses this, I think, very strongly. Well... There's another person who is a loudmouth, evangelical, famous, Anne Graham Lotz, who is the daughter of famed evangelical minister, evangelist, Billy Graham, and sister to Franklin Graham, who is a frothing, anti-Muslim maniac. Mm-hmm. Well, she had this to say about a word of prophecy that was given to her in some service. And then we'll get to just who she's going to support in the election. It was as though the hair stood upon the back of my neck. And and I knew I had said things I had not studied, I had not prepared, I had not pre-thought. Um, and I knew God was speaking. And the message was very clear to me. And it was that the day of the Lord is near. That That's the theme of the book of Joel. And the day of the Lord is a time of judgment. It's a time when God's patience runs out. It's a it's a day of reckoning. And I felt that God was saying that the day of the Lord is near, and I felt specifically he was warning America. And so, um, you know, I, I came away from that very sobered. And then I began to pray and, and ask God, what can I do? You know, what what can we do? And of course, in Joel chapter 1 and 2 is very clear. When the message comes through and the day of the Lord is near, that we're to cry out, rend our hearts, which is a deep repentance. And maybe God, who is gracious, compassionate, you know, uh, loving, he does not want to judge us. He does not want to draw the line. And, and if we cry out and rend our hearts, then there is the possibility that instead of uh, bringing judgment, he would leave behind a blessing. And so that's why... You know, the the thought for Mayday, Mayday, the distress call for prayer was born in my heart just out of my own prayer time and uh, just out of necessity. It's time to pray. You say God's been sending warnings in the form of natural disasters, financial collapse, terrorism and social crises and other ways. Do you think the church is getting the message? You know, Lori, I don't know. Uh, I believe I've gotten the message. And, you know, one thing people say to me, and I've had pastors say this to me, that these things have always happened, you know, and they get a little irritated with people like me that try to sound the alarm or blow the trumpet. But the difference is that what we're seeing today is increasing in frequency and increasing in intensity. And Jesus said in Matthew 24 that when there's one generation that includes the gospel being preached to the whole world, includes the rebirth of the nation of Israel, and all the signs that he gives, and the signs that he gives, he says, are like birth pains. Mm -hmm. When I gave birth to my children, you know, our pains started maybe five minutes apart, then they went four minutes, three minutes, two minutes. As they increased in frequency, they increased in intensity until the end, I couldn't take it anymore, you know, but then the baby came. Mm -hmm. And so the birth pains, the signs that Jesus gives whether it's in the environmental world or national world, the wars and rumors of wars or the persecution of Christians, the persecution of Jews, 
When we see that ratcheting up, increasing in frequency and in intensity, in the same generation that seems the, sees the gospel being preached to the whole world and Israel reborn as a nation, that's the generation that's the last. I believe with deep conviction that it's my generation. I, I was born the same, just a week apart from the time when Israel was reborn as a nation. We're the same age. Mm -hmm. And I believe that in my lifetime, if I live out my lifetime, a natural lifetime, I believe I will live to see the return of Jesus. She believes the same thing that the, the, the Christ disciples believed, that they were in the last days. Everyone since Jesus has believed they were in the goddamn last days. Mm -hmm. So I played that to illustrate that she's the same kind of doom and gloom, death cult Christian, like m most of them. I mean, if you're Christianity and you believe that a man died for your sins and you don't get any ultimate reward until you die, well, that's a death cult. Well, she's in the same kind of death cult as Kevin Swanson. But when asked about who she's going to support for the presidency, eh, she really didn't equivocate at all. No, I, I would not vote for Hillary uh, for a lot of reasons. I've met her and I, um, you know, I appreciate her and I appreciate what she's done in many ways as far as a woman. But um, there are just too many red flags there. Give me a and, red flag. Uh, just uh, the Benghazi situation is one and, uh, and other things. There's some mm -hmm. things there are not right. And her, anyway, I won't go into that. But the, and then on the other I side. I don't think you could. You know, I, I <laughs> let me tell you, I think it's beyond human solution. I don't think one man can make a difference, maybe make a difference in a right. negative or positive, but not not turn this nation back to its foundation. No, and well, sort, well, absolutely. Sort of that, would be a, that would be a godlike task, That's exactly if, if, right. dare I say. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but let me, let me. I don't want to force you if you don't want to endorse, but I mean, what do you think of Trump? I mean, the evangelicals voted for Trump over Cruz. Well, I, whoever gets that nomination, and it looks like it may be Mr. Trump, I don't know how things will fall out. I will vote for whoever gets that nomination, I, you know. So, and, I, and then, when I vote for him, I'm going to pray for him every day. Well, at the beginning of the clip, when she was first talking, yeah. she said, I said things that I had not pre-thought, is what she said, right? Yeah, very, very Christian kind of a thing. And I knew it was God talking. Right. And I guess that's a good excuse, right? When you, like, say shitty things to people, you're like, you didn't think about it before talking. Right, right. Oh, well, that's just, that's not me talking. She's you know? like, oh, I, I didn't study any of this. I didn't think about any, and I said it. Oh, it must be God. Right, so everything about everything she said was confusing. Watermelon. And Brittany, <laughs> I did not pre-think to yeah. say watermelon, <laughs> and I just said watermelon. Praise Jesus. You sure did say it. <laughs> But even when they said, okay, name a, name a red flag. And Don't she, hang her. And she said. Scooby-Doo. And she said, <laughs> oh, uh, red flag, uh, uh, Benghazi. Right, right. Because Benghazi is a buzzword from the news. Talking points. And she said, oh, I won't go into that. You you can't go into that. Right. You couldn't even come up with a red flag. You had to go, hmm, now what was Bill O'Reilly yelling about last right. night? You know what I mean? Well, it's party over principle. For these people. For so many of them. Yeah, it's bizarre to me. For so many Republicans, that is the case. Right, even, and it's more distressing for me, the religion people. Because I was raised with these people, and I was raised to believe they are, you know, they're going to cherish their God. They're going to cherish their faith, because it's going to bring them eternity. Mm -hmm. And nope, they don't. They're, they'll follow 
Trump through the gates of fucking hell because he has a big R after his name. Right. Yeah, it's bizarre to me. So I do want to quickly mention that something that developed tonight, uh, Donald Trump was on Jimmy Kimmel and he said that he would be willing to debate Bernie Sanders. Oh, so that's what that tweet was about. If the money went to charity. So it's convincing a TV outlet to give up profit. Listen, uh, that would be awesome. And so Bernie Sanders tweeted, game on. I look forward to debating Donald Trump in California before the June 7th primary. That would be so good. So he tweeted it. Donald Trump talked about it on the show, but nothing has been confirmed yet. But Hillary Clinton declined an invitation from Bernie Sanders to debate before the California primary. So this looks like a way that Bernie Sanders could get some notoriety before yeah. the California primary. Yeah, that would be great. So it would be great if this could happen. That would be awesome. But like you said, in terms of donating all of the money to charity, mm, I yeah, don't know. you got to convince a for-profit media company to do that. Yeah. Or have C-SPAN live stream the goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That would be awesome. Tell us what you think about this Dollamocracy segment or any other thing we've talked about. 657 464 7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. You know, these asshole of today segments are turning out to be not just individual people. But municipalities, entire states, the judicial system of entire states. But in this case, it is both an individual and a specific set of laws in a particular state. This is Jacob, currently a healthy, happy toddler. But a little more than two months ago, Jacob's parents came home to a nightmare scenario. Before we even came in the house, Josh could hear Jacob crying outside. Like, screaming crying. Alicia Quinney says when she walked in, a family friend who had been babysitting was asleep on the couch. Her three-year-old daughter, Jalen, awake next to him. Jacob, alone on the floor in his bedroom, crying. The sitter told her he'd fallen asleep and didn't know what had happened. Quinny says it sounded fishy, but she comforted her son and put him to bed. She was angry, but thought that was the end of it until the next morning. The first thing I saw was Jacob's black eye. And I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? And then he turned over, and his whole right side of his face was black and blue. She took Jacob to the hospital. Doctors and social workers took pictures. Luckily, there were no broken bones. She says the sitter changed his story and said he dropped Jacob. But Quinny says a detective later told Jacob's parents the man admitted to slapping him. I had seen the evidence and, and what the doctors told me and showed me of a handprint on his face. There's no denying what he did. According to Sherwood Police, the man was questioned but not arrested. The case forwarded to the district attorney where it's been ever since. Quinney says the prosecutor told her a quirk in Oregon law that requires proof victims of child abuse were in substantial pain is making it hard to move forward since Jacob can't tell anyone he was hurt. He told me we cannot press charges at all. It's absurd. I mean, what if what if my kid was mute? What if my kid was in a coma? 
Frustrated, Jacob's parents have taken their case to social media, posting pictures of his injuries. The response so far has been massive. But what they really want, and still don't have, is justice for their son. This person who did this is living their life however they want to, while all of us here have been through so much trauma, our lives have changed forever. So you can find more about this horrible story using the hashtag justice for Jacob. Or go to our Facebook page for the show. Right. <laughs> I'm failing at my job. But the pictures of this baby, I mean, it is just so sad. Um, it's horrific. You just want to hold this baby and, you know, give it love because I can't even imagine how scared it must have been when this was happening. Um. This is a disturbing law. It's bizarre that it's a state like Oregon. Right, who's which is a typically progressive state. Oh, yeah, this is this is a dark this is a dark dark blue state. This is Bernie Sanders country. Right, but as they noted in the clip there, in order for the case to move forward, there needs to be proof that there was substantial pain. Just bizarre language in a law. You think they would have gotten this taken care of a long time ago because of facing a, a, a situation just like this. Well, it's it's hard enough already for abuse victims to come forward. Right. And then you hear something like this. Yeah, throw up a fucking roadblock. Right, where you're going to have to prove that you were in substantial pain. Well, that's it, too. It's also proof. He admitted that he slapped the kid. Right. And then you see the bruise yeah, all over but, the kid's yeah, face. We know he you hit him and he's bruised, but... Uh, was it substantial pain? Yeah, yeah, the kid isn't crying now. So, I mean, is he really well, Look hurt? at him. He's, he's peacefully sleeping. Huh? What do you mean he... Well, yeah, he's got bruises all over his face. I mean, what is And he's this, got a black eye. What is it based on? Like, oh, kids are resilient? I mean, ah, what, what is... Fucking what, weird. What was the thinking here when this happened? Very, very weird. But I guess this is why, you know, social media has a lot of negatives. Yeah, but, but this is a positive. There, there is definitely some positive. Where they said, you know what? The system is failing us. So we're just going to put this out there and it's been shared. Everyone's talking about it. And hopefully the more that people talk, the more likely it is that something will change. So the perpetrator of this crime is definitely the asshole of today. And he'll probably be the asshole for a long time. But the state of Oregon has a chance to redeem itself here and do something about this. If you live in Oregon, I would implore you to contact your elected representative and have them address this because it's only with the the people's action that this could be taken care of and dealt with accordingly and swiftly because it is something that needs to be altered in the Oregon Code. All right, with that... We are going to leave you. We love you guys. We appreciate you joining us on this Thursday morning or evening or hell, Friday. I'd say most of our listeners are loyal. As soon as it's released, they just rush to their their podcatchers and listen to the show as fast as they can. I'm sure they do. (laughs) Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you very much. You mean the world to us. If it wasn't for you... And your loyalty and listenership, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. We wouldn't be able to be moving the conversation forward with you. If you'd like to sound off about anything, again, the phone number 657-464-7609 or email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Until next time, I am Jesse Dollamore. 
Over there is Brittany Page. And this has been... What's it been, Brittany? I doubt it. Yep, you're right. <laughs> it's been I doubt it. <laughs> Goddamn. <laughs>